Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up to date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I am Dr. Lori Beth, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Remember that this podcast deals with adult themes. So if you don't have privacy, you might wish to put on your headphones. Today, I'm finishing my series about risk assessment in relationships. We assess risks all the time. Once we reach adulthood, we do most of our risk assessment without thinking. For example, when you're driving, you assess assess the risk of driving at a particular speed, of changing lanes, or of driving in certain weather or traffic conditions. You do this by taking in information about the road around you, your state of being, whether you're tired, awake, feeling ill, using all of your senses and taking in information from the outside, like looking at weather reports um, and uh, observing the other cars on the road. When you first begin to drive, This takes much more effort and energy. Once you've been driving for quite a long time, you don't need to think as much in order to assess risks. We assess risk according to what we have learned about the risks inherent in any given situation. We assess based on what we have learned from others, from books, television, and other media, and from our own life experience. All of us travel with baggage some with just a carry-on, and others with whole steamer trunks full. The problem isn't the baggage itself, but rather the unexpected contents. If you're unaware of your own patterns, your risk assessment will be faulty, so you'll make poorer choices. For some, this means choosing relationships that turn out to be abusive ones. For others, this means choosing partners who cheat. And for some, this means choosing relationship after relationship with people who are abused or are dependent upon substances. And for still others, this simply means choosing unhappy relationships. We tend to choose on some level what feels familiar to us. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that um, if you choose relationships with people who abuse substances, that you definitely came from a family where there was substance abuse. There's something about the feeling of it, and sometimes it's not obvious. Other times it is incredibly obvious. It is not unusual, for example, for people who have grown up with domestic violence around them to choose relationships in which domestic violence occurs, either in which they perpetrate or in which they experience domestic violence. But that's not a given. So it's, it, the pattern can be very simple and straightforward, but it can also be very complex. I know my own patterns very well now, as I've had lots of therapy and coaching and done other types of personal work on myself. 
I've also worked with many, many people, so I've learned from my work with them. It used to be that if I walked into a room of 300 people with only one alcoholic in the room, that would be the only person I was attracted to. They would be the first that felt exciting, or as I normally put it, who smelled right to me. Nowadays, I would be attracted to the people who have been clean and sober for more than 10 years. People who are still adrenaline junkies and those who come from backgrounds maybe where there was some substance abuse, but who have done their personal work. I still like the edge, but my pattern has changed because of the personal work I've done. I recognize different qualities, different scents that are attractive now. Now I need to point out, I am not, nor have I ever been uh, an abuser of, a, a, a dependent on, an abuser of alcohol or drugs. I did smoke cigarettes for very many years. I was not brought up in a family in which there were alcoholics or drug abusers. But the pattern is in my wider family. And so that was something that I recognized as attractive. The hardest thing for most of us to admit is that we've made a mistake in a relationship and then to walk away from the relationship. And in the worst case scenarios, this can get you injured or even killed. Gavin DeBecker is an expert on security, threat assessment, and personal protection. He's written quite a number of books now. But the book that I uh, first read and first get, began to give out to clients many years ago is called The Gift of Fear. And I highly recommend that everybody reads this book. In this book, he talks about how far we as human beings have moved from our primal senses. Fear is the body's way of alerting us to danger. Many people no longer pay attention to fear or to gut instincts in which they feel uncomfortable. De Becker talks about how essential it is that we learn to reintegrate our primal senses as they keep us safe or will keep us safer and ignoring them may get us injured or killed. Often people have an intense gut feeling and then talk themselves out of it. You might meet someone and you feel uncomfortable, but you say, oh, I'm being unfair or I should give him a chance. It's amazing how often the gut instinct is correct. I've interviewed many victims of sexual assault and rape over the years, uh, some who came for therapy and others during my research projects on post-traumatic stress disorder. A full 60% of them have admitted to having a feeling that something was not right or the situation was not safe or someone, the person was not right and ignoring that feeling. Now this led them to blame themselves for their own assaults or rapes. You cannot blame yourself for that. Self-blame is not useful in this situation. What is, though, is to learn how important it is to pay attention to your hunches and gut instincts. They're often correct because they're based on a whole host of perceptions that happen on a less than conscious level. I remember really clearly a um, crime victim that I interviewed who said that uh, she was walking down the road and she noticed a man on the other side of the road. And she felt uncomfortable. And she got another block further down the road. And he was still pacing her. And now she felt really uncomfortable. 
And she remembered thinking to herself, I am being so silly and ridiculous. Why am I getting wound up over this? There's nothing wrong with that man. He's walking on the other side of the road. He's got nothing to do with me. I'm just being paranoid. That man attacked her and raped her about three blocks later. She couldn't explain what it was about him that made her uncomfortable. But he did make her uncomfortable. And had she paid attention to that, she would have been in a much better situation. He may still have caught her and raped her, but she would have had a head start. Many of the people I've seen over the years have ignored countless warning signs in relationships. I spoke with Sue Mandel last week about the red flags she talks about with her clients. I use a system of red flags or warning signs to risk assess in any new relationship, and I recommend that everyone do the same. You may not choose the same warning signs that I do, but you should have a system of your own. Many people are afraid to do this because they believe on some deep level that if they walk away from a potential relationship, another one may not come along. These people are conforming to the scarcity principle that says, there are just not enough good people in the world. And so you must grab anyone you think is a good person or you're going to end up alone. This is a myth. There are plenty of people in the world with whom you can have a relationship. It's better to find the right person or people than to enter a relationship with someone who's dangerous, abusive, or degrading, or even just a relationship with a person who's wrong for you, but might be, might be fine for someone else. Many people are afraid to be alone, and this stops them from risk assessing. It's better to be alone and alive and healthy than the alternative. If you want to relearn to be in touch with those primal senses, you have to learn again to observe. You have to learn to observe your body and the feelings that you get in your body and to distinguish between what's an anxiety or a worry and what's an actual gut feeling that you need to act upon. They feel very different. Um, I describe an anxiety or a worry as something that kind of gives me the jitters. It's mostly in my head. I don't feel it a lot in my body. Or it's about something that I can't do much about or that I'm choosing not to do something about. So, for example, let's say I am anxious about an exam that I'm going to take. And I'm spending my time being anxious about the exam instead of actually studying for the exam. That's kind of useless energy. Whereas a gut feeling of concern or fear or worry, that I actually feel in the gut. I feel it in my body. The hair stands up on the back of my neck. My breathing might change and often does. Those are the sorts of things that you want to be paying, paying attention to physically and interpreting. Will you always make the right decision? No, you won't. Uh, sometimes you will walk yourself out of a situation that actually was probably fine anyway. 
Other times, although you'll take it, it, you'll decide to act on the gut feeling, you won't do so quickly enough. And whatever it is that you were concerned about will happen anyway. And other times you'll be fooled. And that's just how it is. And even somebody as experienced as I am can be fooled by people on occasion who are setting out to fool you. Um, there are some people who are incredibly good liars and they are able to turn on charm and turn on what appears to be empathy and turn on concern and uh, make other people around them feel safe and secure. And yet they are anything but. They're incredibly dangerous, but they are good at getting close to people. So they can fool people, even people who are experienced. I encourage my clients and I encourage you to pay attention to those gut instincts and to err on the side of caution. For me, a red flag or a warning sign says, stop and think or get some distance. I feel frightened or deeply anxious or my gut tells me something is off. This is my first warning sign. And this is, to me, the most important warning sign to pay attention to. I don't wait to interpret this. And I don't suggest that you do either. I simply get out of the situation. If you feel something is off, it usually is. Delay can put you in danger or difficulty. So don't delay. I have to say that this has personally saved my life more than once. Don't worry about how other people might think of you. Don't pass go. Don't collect 200 pounds or $200. Just get out of the situation. See your fear as the gift that it is, the sign that tells you that you are in danger. This one can be especially important for people who enjoy BDSM and power exchange and who are meeting up with someone who they don't know well and they don't know much about. And speaking of that, one part of risk assessment is to find out what you can about the person that you're entering into any kind of relationship with. Observe their behavior with you, with friends, family, with the servers in the restaurant, online, at events, are they generally pleasant and fun and polite? Generally, I mean, everybody gets angry sometimes. Everybody gets annoyed sometimes. Are they um, irritable? If so, have a look at why. Do they treat you well, but everybody else poorly? Try and think into the future. Check out the stories that they tell you. Consider talking to ex-partners and friends, depending on the type of relationship you're entering. Do a background check. Do your homework, your due diligence. And if they aren't comfortable with you doing things like that, think twice about the relationship. Again, I remind you, there really are plenty of people out there. This whole idea that there, there are only a few people or you only have the possibility of meeting that one right person is a myth. 
Here are some other warning signs that I pay attention to. Many brief intense relationships that ended badly. And when I say brief, I mean brief. Relationships that were under a year. That may be slightly different if you're talking about a much younger person. Um, So if the person that you're um, thinking about is in their early 20s, then many brief relationships would not be terribly unusual. But once you're past your early to mid-20s, you don't expect people to have lots of brief, intense relationships. I'm not talking about dating. You know, lots of people date a whole bunch of people, go out on a couple of dates with each one and and decide for whatever reason that it's not going to work and stop dating. I'm talking about intense relationships, relationships in which people... Um, were planning lives together, saying they loved each other, uh, those maybe even moved in together. So if persons had many, many brief, so under a year, under 18 months if they're older, um, relationships that ended badly. So they didn't separate amicably. Then I pay attention. This could mean the person has difficulty managing their own intense emotions and expressing emotions appropriately. It might mean they have overly high expectations of a partner. It could signify problems with intimacy, that they're uncomfortable if they think somebody's too close, but if somebody moves a little bit further away, then they feel like they're being abandoned and they get upset about that. Next sign is an unwillingness to give you full contact details. This is only a warning sign if it persists after you start properly dating each other. At the first or second meeting in the information age, it's not unusual for people to want to hold back some of their details. Remember, if you're online, to be aware of signs of catfishing. Meeting people online, it's possible that the person is not who they say they are. If things are not adding up, information makes no sense, you feel that someone is playing with you, pay attention to these feelings. Now, some people feel that they need to go to all lengths to make sure that that's what's happening, that this isn't the person uh, that they say they are, that they can't just decide to walk away. You can. You are under no obligation to stay in a situation. There is no rule that says that you have to try every possible thing in order to make a relationship work for year in, year out. If it isn't working and you're having these sorts of feelings, consider ending the relationship. Walk away. Now, if you've been married for 10 years and up until now, the relationship has gone beautifully well and you're having problems now and it's not working, I would advise you to go get some help to try and make the relationship work. I know this is common sense, but I still state it. However, if you've dated this person a couple of times or you've met them online and for the last month to six weeks or two months, you've been talking with them but things aren't adding up and it's making no sense and you feel that you're being played with, walk away. 
Do not waste your precious time and energy or put yourself in danger on the off chance that this relationship might be the one, which is what people do, or on the off chance that other people will look at you uh, badly because you didn't try every possible thing. When people are extremely sensitive to anything that approaches criticism, or if you have a different opinion from them, this is something to be aware of. People who have these issues can be volatile and often there's lots of drama in their lives. Pay attention to stalking behaviors. So what does a stalking behavior look like? When somebody shows up with your don't expect them to be, telephones and texts you many times per day when you've just met, doesn't observe the boundaries you set, surprises you at work or at home, is constantly following all your social media. This can feel very flattering at first, but will quickly feel uncomfortable and can become dangerous. Um, sometimes it can be hard to tell whether somebody is just being um, very excited and very into you or whether it's stalking behavior. And here again is where I remind people to pay attention to their gut feeling. Does it feel a little uncomfortable? Even if it feels immensely flattering, is it a little bit uncomfortable? Pay attention to that discomfort. Pay attention to the discomfort and take a step back and then think, am I uncomfortable because I'm not used to being flattered? Or am I uncomfortable because something is off here? I had a client who uh, met somebody on a social media site and they chatted uh, for a, a matter of two or three months and things were going terribly well and they decided that they were going to meet in person. Um, first, she gave him her phone number and they spoke on the phone a number of times and they set a date to go and meet at a coffee shop. And they went and met at the coffee shop and the date went very well. And they decided that they would go and have dinner and they went on to dinner. And at the end of dinner, which had gone extremely well, she kissed him goodbye and left. And this was her own boundary. It was something that she'd been very clear with me about that she wanted to set to avoid getting sexually involved with somebody that she wasn't ready to be involved with just because she was attracted to them. So that was the boundary she set. And she said goodnight. And he said that they would speak soon and, and arrange another date. Before she made the 30-minute trip home, she already had seven texts. By the following morning, she had 40, which became more and more insistent throughout the night because she had answered one of them and thanked him for a good time and said goodnight, but she hadn't answered the following the follow-up texts. The next day when she arrived at work, there were two dozen roses. Well, she was flattered by that. That, that was quite nice. But at lunchtime, he was waiting for her. Now she felt very uncomfortable. But she'd had such a good time and he was um, 
a relatively well-off man and he had a good job and he ticked all the boxes of what a good catch would look like. She didn't really pay attention to how uncomfortable she was that he'd just shown up at work at her lunch break. And she didn't consider how it was that he knew when her lunch break would be. And so she allowed him to take her out to lunch and they had a lovely meal and she agreed to see him the following night. That night she was going out with a friend. When she returned from her evening with her friend, he was sitting on the steps outside of her house. Now she became very alarmed. And thankfully, her friend had been the one who'd driven. So her friend was dropping her off and her friend escorted her into the house. She said in no uncertain terms to her, to the man, look, um, this makes me feel very uncomfortable. I'd like you to leave. He did not really apologize and he was clearly annoyed, but he left. Following this became a very serious stalking campaign that lasted until he was arrested and then began again when he was let out because he was put in jail overnight um, until he actually met someone else. And this went on for a period of eight months and was petrifying for this client. That is part of why she had entered therapy. This story really illustrates the places where you have signs that things may not be right, but don't necessarily act on them. And the reason, her reasons for not acting on them were twofold. For some of the things that she didn't act on, the reasons were to do with social convention. And for others, was because what he was doing felt good. I urge people to be worried when someone must control every aspect of a date, a conversation, or a meal. And when they are immediately controlling without your consent, because this really is a sign of deeper issues. Demonstrations of intense jealousy when you haven't known each other for very long. Or of Jealousy around the time you spend with friends and family and at work. This tends to highlight insecurity and the need to control and doesn't bode well for safe, happy, and healthy relationships. Empathy is essential to a good relationship. Empathy is the ability to feel things from another point of view to understand and share their feelings. If a person cannot take the viewpoint of another, cannot see things from another's vantage point, it is unlikely that they will be able to share someone else's feelings. Some people can approximate empathy, but don't truly feel it. People who don't have empathy don't consider how their actions might impact upon others and cannot put themselves in another's shoes to see how the words they choose or the things they do might cause another to feel. Another concerning sign is black and white thinking. People who cannot tolerate any ambivalence swing from positives to negatives. They find it difficult to stay connected to someone positively if the person has done something that has caused them to be upset or feel angry. You are either the most wonderful person on the planet or the devil incarnate. They swing back and forth and it can be hard for others to know where they stand. 
They have an unrealistic expectation of others and project their own fantasy and viewpoints onto others. The inability to take responsibility and apologize is a huge warning sign. People who cannot take responsibility for their actions and mistakes, thoughts and feelings cannot learn, and so they don't change. They don't apologize because they cannot see how any outcome is their responsibility, and they also often lack empathy, so they cannot imagine how the other person feels. The inability to control intense emotions is another warning sign. People who cannot soothe themselves take out all of their feelings at full intensity on those around them. They're often volatile, sometimes violent, and require immediate and constant attention. Risk assessment is about being observant, being conscious of your own biases, your own history and patterns, being able to separate your feelings from those of others, and listening to your primal senses and acting on them. Risk assessment is an ongoing, lifelong process. Once you're well-versed and have practiced a lot, it becomes second nature. If you do it well, your relationships will be filled with excitement and pleasure and be long-lasting. If you don't do it well, you'll find yourself in dicey situation after difficult situation. Thanks for joining me for Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Write to me with suggestions for the show, questions you want answered at drbisbee at the-intimacy-coach.com. That's D-R-B-I-S-B-E-Y at the-intimacy-coach.com. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and check out my YouTube channel. For a free 30-minute strategy session with me, go to ht tps colon backslash backslash the dash intimacy dash coach.com and click on the button that says schedule now on my contact page. Why not join me for my upcoming free webinar, four secrets for arousing and igniting your authentic sexual self. Click on the link in the podcast notes to sign up or head to https colon backslash backslash the-intimacy-coach.com backslash four, that's the number four, dash secrets backslash. I look forward to seeing you next week for part one of the care and feeding of the vagina. If you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe and please leave a review on Stitcher or iTunes. Any reviews you leave can be anonymous. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics, sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening.